I'm Matt Garrow-Fisher and this is the Burn From Within show. Each week I interview inspiring people who have changed their career or life to light up inside. So if you want to get excited about your Mondays, work on meaningful projects and have more time for the passions and people that matter to you, stay tuned. In this episode, I talk to Jamie Smart, an international best-selling author of the book, Clarity, Clear Mind, Better Performance and Bigger Results. After reading the book myself, I wanted to explore some paradigm-shifting concepts of psychology from it in this interview. The principles we discuss can really help people going through life changes or career change, enabling them a way to make better decisions from within. In this episode, we discuss clarity being like a small child's standard setting and what that means. Jamie's major life and career decisions and how his decision-making evolved over time. Where can people get their best ideas and insights from? How to live an authentic life and not just imitate others? What do people who change their career struggle with in finding a role or an identity that makes them happy and feel who they really are? How can you be confident in making a big life decision like career change? And what's the one thing that makes Jamie Smart burn from within? The full show notes and videos of other interviews are available at burnfromwithin.com forward slash interviews. So listen all the way through and enjoy. One observation that I I had about one of the quotes in your book, Clarity, you said that clarity is like a, a small child's standard setting and I thought about that today I had um, my cat that, that lives here with me in Kosamiri she brought back a, a bird for dinner and I was like oh what's this bird and my girlfriend put out a, a bowl for, for the for, to put the bird in so she could eat it and uh, and as soon as she put the bowl out the cat got distracted let go of the bird and I didn't realize the bird flew away it was still alive <laughs> And the cat visibly looked upset. And it was the first time where I was like, wow, a a cat almost is human here. Like she was thinking about it for a while. But then she moved on straight away. And and that kind of immediately made me think of children and, and children's settings of they feel an experience and they move on. They don't dwell on it. And I just love that concept. Where did that come from for you? Where did you first discover it? It's funny. So my background, I trained as an NLP trainer back in the 1990s and I was passionate about it, loved doing that stuff. And by kind of 2007, 2008, I was very successful in terms of I had a big community. I had lots of products and courses and I had a business that ran on autopilot. I was doing a Tim Ferriss and taking a mini retirement. Actually, I was on a a three-month ski holiday in uh, uh, Whistler in Canada. And six weeks into that mini retirement, I found I was miserable. And I was like, it didn't make any sense to me, Matt, because according to the rules of my industry at the time, I should be delighted because I was theoretically successful. But what I realized was I was having the circumstances of success 
but I wasn't having a, an experience of success. I wasn't having a feeling of success. So I knew there was something up and I went back to the drawing board and I ended up being introduced to something called uh, the three principles. And I was working with a coach and the first, I started having realizations. And the first realization I had was like, oh, everything you've been looking for outside of you is already there within. And, and everything I'd been looking for in goal achievements and money and wealth and time freedom and other people and things and experiences that what I thought they would give me in terms of a sense of well-being and security and peace of mind and happiness, that the only place that can ever come from is within. I'd read that kind of stuff before, right? Like we've all heard that. But I started to experience that. It was a, it was a game changer for me. The second insight I had was, Oh, the fact that a person can even see or hear or feel means they have that within them too. And so there's nothing wrong with the world of stuff. There's tons of cool things to do and great places to go and all kinds of goals worth achieving and problems worth solving, no doubt about it. But the experience of life that people are looking for, which is much more to do with a sense of well-being and happiness and contentment and purpose and peace and love, that can own, always and only come from within. So that's where, that's where I first got hit with that. And, and you asked, where did that come from? It came from the only place that can come from, which is from an insight. Like we, we hear these things and we're like we read in books or hear a speaker say, oh yeah, look within. And we're like, or money can't buy happiness or whatever it might be. The, the stuff we've heard a million times. But the only place that you can actually discover that for yourself is through an insight. Now, here's the cool thing. Every human being has an innate capacity for insight and realization. And the funny thing is, you mentioned small children. One of the principal differences between, a, say, a three- or four-year-old and a 33... Well, you, you can do this test yourself. If you compare the average four-year-old to the average 34-year-old, who exhibits the best mental health is the four-year-old. It's the four-year-old. And it's not because they're doing something that the 34-year-old isn't. It's because the, the four-year-old hasn't yet built a, a kind of a, a model of the world that they're bought into, where they're like, okay, this, I, they, no four-year-old would go, I now know the way the world works. Whereas most adults are pretty sure that they understand how the world works and how they work and how they tick and how their experience works and all that sort of stuff. The four-year-old doesn't. So the four-year-old has all kinds of mood swings and ups and downs and they're laughing one minute and crying the next. They've got all that. But they keep coming back to and benefiting from that innate capacity for clarity and well-being that's there within everyone. And it's there within everyone when they're four years old, and it's there within everyone when they're 84 years old. But for a lot of the 84-year-olds, it's being cemented over to some degree with a, a fixed idea of how the world works. One thing that I've been noticing, particularly from some of the other guests I've had on the show who've gone through major life changes, major career changes, is 
they tend to find these moments of clarity, moments of truth, as the AA founder termed it, when they've gone through pain. Seb Terry, he, who I interviewed, he, his friend died and he, it made him think about what would I regret if I died tomorrow? And that was a moment of clarity. And similarly with another guest I had, you know, she went up through a very painful breakup and, and had a realization of what's missing in my life. Oh, it's travel. And then that started a whole sequence of events to build a successful business. Why do you think clarity comes a lot of the time from, from pain and, and, and almost going over this threshold of, of, of pain? It's by no means, if you're talking about life change of direction in life type insights, it's by no means unique to pain situations. There can be all kinds of things that spark that. But one of the things is I, one, of my, one of my mentors once said to me, he said, if you want to know what limits people, don't look at the stuff that doesn't work for them. They'll happily let go of that. If you want to know what really limits people, look at the stuff that works really well for them because they'll want to hang on to that. And so that's actually what creates the, the desire, if you like, for things to stay the same. I once heard, I, I once heard a story about the, the godmother of family therapy, Virginia Satir. And she was asked, what's the most powerful force in human beings? And Virginia thought about it and she said, the desire for the familiar. People like what's familiar. They learn from what's different, but they like what's familiar. And our way of seeing the world, our understanding of who we are and how life works, that's very familiar to us. We think we're, we're pretty sure we're right about it. And so that to actually see the world differently, to be willing to see something new, sometimes it can be, for some people anyway, it can be pain that, certainly in my case, it's often pain that does the heavy lifting, but not always. And the other thing, just to, on, as we're on that subject, I, another a mentor of mine, actually, a genius wordsmith called Dr. Christina Hall, I mentioned the Virginia Satir quote to her once. And she said, I know a force that's even more powerful. I said, oh, what's that? She said, purpose, a sense of purpose and direction is even more powerful than the desire for familiarity. And I thought of that, and that's true, at least in my experience, that the people, if they've got a sense of something that's meaningful and important to them in terms of direction, then they'll let go of stuff that's familiar and comfortable and that sort of thing to go in pursuit of that or to fall in line with that. Let's, I mean, let's talk about purpose. And a lot of people struggle when they want to leave their job or, or do something different with their life because they're unhappy maybe. And you're a person who has gone through many life changes. You've made some bold, big decisions. In the book, you, uh, Clarity, you, you talked about being an alcoholic very young, made a decision to transition out of that. And then you were in a job, you, you very quickly transitioned out of that job. I believe you did a NLP seminar and very shortly afterwards, you decided to, to leave your job and start your own business. And through to various other big decisions, selling very successful business and, and moving into another area, this area of clarity and innate thinking. There's many life transitions in your life story, Jamie. Maybe talk us through 
how you made those decisions and how that evolution of those decisions changed as you understood these principles? Yeah. So let's take the first one, the decision to stop drinking. That was basically, I was married and I'd been married a month and my wife was going to leave because of my boozing. And it was just too much for her. And so I said, don't worry, baby, I'm going to get sober. And that turned out to be a lot harder than I thought. But that was basically just, there was something more important to me than that, which was my marriage. Then when I was back, when I had a job, I'd been a IT program manager and project manager for many years. And I'd always had this sense that there was something I was meant to be doing or something that was better fit for me. It was like that job, I was good at it, but I'd fallen into it. It was something I had a knack for. It wasn't something that I was passionate about, but I didn't know what it was. And I used to say, I'd I'd do what I love if I knew what it was, or I'd do what I love if I knew it was going to work out. But, and I saw buddies of mine starting their own businesses or going contract or whatever. And I was, well, that's okay for them, but I don't have uh, start your own business DNA. I've got employee DNA. So I thought, I didn't know anything about the kind of stuff we're talking about back then. I was just thought that's the way it was. Like I was just, I just was made differently from that. And so I went on a training course, like a two-day taster course on NLP and personal development. And that weekend I had two insights. Now I didn't know they were insights. Okay. I, they were just, I realized a couple of things. And the first was this idea that I, I was doing the work I was doing and that's because that's what I'd fallen into and I, there wasn't anything else I could do. I suddenly went, oh, you can do whatever you put your mind to, or at least you can have a go at it. And I just had this sense of, oh, I'm, there's some way in which I'm responsible for the way my life is. I didn't know that before. I thought, I didn't know that I had any agency in regard to it. I wasn't an idiot or anything. Like I was good at school and that sort of thing. But there was this sense that life was something that was happening to me. And I was passive in relation to it rather than it was something that was, uh, that I had some agency in regard to. So that was a big insight. But the second insight I had is this guy who was teaching was maybe a group of a hundred people. And he walked out onto the, walked out onto the stage at the beginning of this two day workshop. And he spent the next two days engaging us with stories and coaching people and doing amazing stuff and teaching us really cool stuff. And it was fascinating and it was inspirational. It was impactful. And every training course I'd ever been on before then was boring as shit. It was like a practical approach to data management and like a nightmare. So I suddenly had an experience of training that was brilliant. And I was like, man, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. I only had one problem, which is I was terrified of public speaking, but I thought I can learn how to do that. I thought I basically did some math and figured out if I became a contract project manager, I could get paid a lot more and have a lot more time freedom to go and do the training courses and learn the things that I needed to learn to change careers. So that's what I did. I quit my job a couple of weeks later and I, gosh, that was like June, May, 1998. But here's the funny thing, Matt. Like I said, I didn't even know that what I had that weekend was insights, but those insights are why I'm sitting here now. Like those Flashes of insight that took a, maybe an eighth of a second 
If they hadn't happened, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you today. So it was a while before I started to get an appreciation for the power of insight and realization. But it's because of those two insights back then that we're having this conversation now. So that's the first one, the first couple. Next one, so I, I, I trained as an NLP trainer and built a community and built products business and all that kind of stuff. And then, like I said, in 2008, I was away on a ski vacation and wasn't particularly enjoying it. And I went back to the drawing board and early 2009, I started having insights. The first one was the one I told you. I saw, oh, this is everything you've been looking for outside is already there inside you. Whoa, that immediately changed my experience. Second insight, the fact that a person can even see, hear, feel, or perceive means they've got this source of clarity and peace and well-being already within them means they have the source of mental health already there within them. I didn't know that up until then. I thought that things like happiness and love and peace of mind and gratitude, I thought they were achievements. I thought they were things you needed to, you know, buy self-development books on a work at and do practices and stuff to develop them. I didn't know that they're already there. But it makes sense, right? Three-year-olds don't generally need therapy. They're, and they're not doing affirmations and a bunch of practices each day to make themselves happy, yet they have a better time than most adults I know. So it's something that's already there, something that's already there. So the third insight I had was in about June of 2009. Suddenly, I, I woke up one morning and I suddenly realized that this stuff I'd been exploring for six months, this was principles for psychology that this understanding as to psychology, what the discovery of germs was to medicine. And literally that day I got on the phone to head office of my company. I said, we're leaving the field of NLP. There are principles. This is the future of psychology. We're, we're going in a new direction. It was 180. But so that wasn't pain because that like, I just suddenly I saw something that was true. It was a no brainer to me. It's if you'd been in the, you know, back when they believed that illness was caused by bad smells and you'd been in the big fans business and, uh, wa- and selling incense and fans to keep the bad smells away. And you suddenly realize it's germs. There's a new sheriff in town. There's a new, a new direction that's way more like my, a big part of my motivation over the years has been to follow the truth wherever it leads. And up until that point, NLP was the best thing I'd been able to find for helping people to have a better experience of life. And it was great. I loved my journey with NLP. It was wonderful what I learned. And 10 years into that journey, I wasn't having a good experience of life. So there was something missing from it. And so when I saw that, boom, new direction. And it's since then that writing the book Clarity, which became a bestseller, the follow-up to that results became a Sunday Times bestseller. So there's this is clearly resonating with people and striking a chord with people and showing people something that's meaningful and impactful in their lives. It's incredible. Was it really quick when you had that insight about, right, we're going to move away from NLP? Like half a second. It was like, because what I saw in that moment, when I saw, oh, this is the future of psychology. Like, see, psychology at the moment is a pre-paradigm field. If you look at something like physics, every plane that's flying, every bridge that's built, it's built by engineers. 
But there are facts of nature that support those bridges, that support those planes. You don't have any aviation designers coming along going, I don't believe in gravity and thermodynamics. I'm building this plane based on pixies and balloon juice. That's what we're going to run this plane on. No, they're bedrock facts of nature that are already up and running that are fundamental to engineering. And that's why we have all the amazing feats of engineering we have. Now, if you look at the field of physics, throughout the evolution of that field, paradigms have been established. So Isaac Newton comes along in the 1600s and he says, there's this thing called universal gravitation. Up until then, they had all kinds of cockamamie ideas about how it worked. And he's, no, it's one thing. There's a way that it works. It's universal gravitation. He also articulated the laws of thermodynamics. All of a sudden, physics, which was a field which people had had all kinds of nutty ideas, there's a paradigm for it. There's a shared understanding, a basis that scientific development then happens on. Then Einstein, like that, Newton's work was solid, right? Stood for hundreds of years. Then Einstein comes along and goes, not exactly. There's more. Boom, relativity. Then the quantum physicists come along and go, bam, quantum. It's each time that was a new paradigm that both explained the earlier paradigms and provided a new platform for research and development and science to continue on. So a paradigm is a shared understanding of the field. Psychology has no paradigm. There's like hundreds of different schools of talk psychology and different personality models and that thing. There's no paradigm. It's a pre-paradigm field. And that's not to diss psychology. It's a very new field. But it's it's pre-paradigm. It's theories. It's good ideas. It's rules of thumb and heuristics. And I loved it. NLP because at least it wasn't just theory. It gave you stuff you could do. It gave you rules of thumb and heuristics. And rules of thumb are great when you don't know what the principles are that are underpinning a field. But as soon as I saw, oh, there are principles. There are principles that support human psychological functioning, just like there are principles that explain the functioning of objects moving through space and that sort of thing. As soon as I saw that, that's a game changer. Game changer. So yeah, boom. Eighth of a second, half a second, something like that. Do you think that these realizations, these insights that people have, that you have, can you structure how you form insights so that you get better, so you're more likely to have insights more often? Is there any kind of habits or rituals that might help you to be more closer to the truth, closer to getting more realizations? So what I'd say is that every realization gets you closer to the truth. That's the direction of realization. Every insight, every realization, I use those words interchangeably. I like the word re- the word realization because it's realizing something, getting something closer to reality. And so those are like increments of your kind of embodied understanding. So I'll give you an example, Matt. You and me and everyone listening to this and watching us has an embodied understanding of the fact of gravity, the implications of gravity. Like you already use that embodied understanding a hundred times a day, right? As you do everything, whether it's stand up or sit down or pick up a cup or throw a ball to someone or whatever activities your day involves you're constantly using 
an embodied understanding of the implications, in fact, of gravity. And you're not even thinking about it consciously, right? Like you're just using that automatically. You developed your embodied understanding of the fact of the principle of gravity through insight and realization, through discovery. You, when you were a kid, when you were born, you knew jack shit about the principle of gravity and you went on a learning curve and you started learning and you learned fast, like it was a crash course, like two, three, four, five, six years. And you're an expert on the implications of the principle of gravity. Every time you have a realization, you're getting closer to reality. But here's the thing. The number one thing that's going to make you more insight prone is to recognize that's what has value. That is the increment of learning, of discovery, of realization. And so to recognize that it has value and to realize that you have an innate capacity for it. A question I often ask people, and I've asked literally thousands of people this question. I've asked business executives this. I've asked prison inmates this. I've asked alcoholics and addicts this question. I've asked medal-winning sports people this question. I've asked award-winning entrepreneurs. I've asked kids. I've asked so many people. And so when do you get your best ideas? When do you get your best ideas? And when I ask that question, people instinctively, without even me guiding them in that direction, best ideas is kind of code for insights without even thinking about it. And they say, oh, when I'm in the shower, when I'm out for a walk, when I'm going for a run, when I'm riding my bike, when I'm at the o- by the ocean, when I'm just dropping off to sleep, when I'm waking up first thing in the morning, when I'm feeling really peaceful, when I've been working on something for a while and then I stop working on it. It's going, when do they get their best ideas? Almost no one says when I'm doing this technique or this practice or when I'm thinking about it really hard. They, what everyone points to is a, an innate capacity, an automatic, natural function of the mind that kicks in when they're not thinking about it. So that, more of that. Okay. One thing that I've been pondering is how do I live an authentic life and, and, and not just copy other people? And you had an amazing quote in, in Clarity about how-to books. And you said they're like trying to glue someone else's apples onto your tree if you just follow blindly how-to books. How, if, if we're trying to work out how to live a successful life that's authentic and maybe original, are there ways to do that? Does innate thinking help with that? Let's start with the how-to books. There are some things, like if I want to go and learn how to make chicken noodle soup, A how-to book is fine for that, very specific instructions. But as soon as you're looking at a book about how to live, then you're into a different territory. And if you, you, what I heard you say was, how do you live an authentic life? How do you live a life that, a successful life? It starts by, I guess there were two things that would make sense to me in relation to that. One would be, what does it mean to you, success? What does it mean to you? You know, I I often coach kind of company owners and entrepreneurs and CEOs. And 
in the process of enrolling them to work with them for a year or whatever we're going to on, they'll tell me what, the, you know, they'll have some objective. You know, I'll ask them questions like, what would you love to have happen as a result of this? Or I might ask a miracle question. If I could wave a magic wand and you could have things however you want them to be, how would you know that it had worked? Or if there was a miracle tonight and you wake up tomorrow morning and everything's the way you want it to be, how would you know a miracle had occurred? What would you see and what would you hear or what would you feel? What would you let you know? that miracles taking place. And so they'll come out with stuff and they'll say, I'd have this and that, and I'd be doing this and that. And, that. and then I'll start getting behind that. I'll say, okay, so what would that give you that you wouldn't otherwise have? And I'll dig right into it. And in almost every, and I'll ask them again and again, and in almost every case, what people are looking for is a sense of freedom, is a sense of peace and well-being is love and happiness, joy, sense of adventure and purpose and aliveness. They're looking for those core states. And they have stuff they want to do out in the world as well. But so I think a lot of times, Matt, when people trying to be successful or wanting to be successful, quote unquote, they've got a picture of success that has been handed to them by someone else, maybe by their parents or by a teacher or by society or by some stupid TV show or by their friends or by a YouTube channel or whatever. They've got an idea of success that is not their own. It's not one that they've come up with. And there was a phase at one point in the 80s and 90s, maybe people are still doing it, to make vision boards and that sort of thing. And here are all the things I want in my life. And 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 people are, the mind is incredibly powerful. People are very good at making shit happen sometimes and that sort of thing. But you want to have the feelings in it as well, because what you almost always find is people don't want the things themselves so much as the way they believe those things will make them feel. And here's the thing about human beings. Turns out we're terrible at predicting how we'll feel in, in certain future states. It's it's a, a, the term is hedonic forecasting or hedonic prediction. That's what the psychologists call it. And when it comes to telling people how we would feel if this happened or that happened, we, we massively skew the results. We think, oh, if I had that, then I would be happy. Or if this happened, I wouldn't be happy or that sort of thing. It's not true. We're, we're not good at predicting that. So the first thing I'd say is start with spending some time like with, what do you mean by success? One of my friends and colleagues, Robert Holden, said, if your definition of success doesn't include love, get a better definition. And I, I think that's the thing. A lot of times people's definition of success is one that's been handed to them rather than one that they've created themselves based on just spending a little time to reflect on what actually matters to you, what's actually important to you. What does it mean? Like, here are the questions I would ask, actually. I would ask, what does it mean, success? What does it mean? What does it mean? And, and for what purpose, success? Like, for what purpose? And why is that important? Like, of what value, success? And what do you know to be true in relation to it? And what's essential in relation to it? So I'd start there in terms of success. In terms of authenticity, this one's a little trickier. To me, anyway, authenticity is about being true to yourself. And if you're going to be true to yourself, 
you need to be clear on who we're talking about. Because what I'm going to suggest is that uh, who you are isn't your personality or your body or your job or any of that stuff. Who you are is the one that's experiencing that stuff. Who you are is before body and brain and all that sort of stuff. And it it behooves a person to get a sense of that. Like when I say being true to myself or being authentic, being authentically expressing myself, who's this self we're talking about? You once said in a podcast relating to who you are, it's from a quote, I think, by Tilliard Desjardins, I think. is that. So Tilliard Desjardins quote is, which I bet everyone's heard, is we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience, which I always liked. I thought it was a nice quote. And then as I saw that more deeply, what I realized is we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're one spiritual being having 7 billion human experiences. And that one spiritual being is who you really are. That's your, your true identity, your true self. And this is, this is what the Buddhists point to and what the Hindus point to and all the kind of mystical traditions point to. And my assertion, Matt, is that actually that's what behind all the definitions of success, what everyone's looking for is to find their way home to who they really are. That's what everyone's looking for is to, to wake up to the truth of who they are and to find their inner self, you could say. And this is the thing we see with uh, little children again. Little children are hanging out there already. They haven't been told that's not okay uh, or haven't been told that relentlessly enough yet for it to be covered up. But it's already there. That's the good news. Like it's already there within you. In fact, it's not even there within you. It's like it's that's who's listening to this and who's experiencing this. But we've been taught that who we are is our body. We've been taught that's who we are. It's kind of interesting, actually. Can I tell you a story? My girlfriend has this little dog called Jack. And Jack's probably about 15, 16 months old now. And at a certain point, pretty much every evening, as it gets dark, the windows in her house become reflective, like she's got floor-to-ceiling French windows. And at a certain point, he catches a glimpse of his own reflection, and he goes charging, barking at the window at full speed and throws himself into the air six feet before he gets to the window and collides with this uh, mirror image him in midair and then falls to the floor and then walks away posturing as he does. And for the first year I watched him do that, I would laugh every time and go, oh, he doesn't realize that's him in the mirror. He doesn't realize that's his own reflection he's looking at. But of course, that's not his own reflection. He hasn't learned, he hasn't been conditioned to believe that image of himself from a distance away is who he is. Whereas I have, and little babies, when they're born, for the first six, seven months, they can't identify themselves in a mirror. And so uh, 
psychologists do an experiment. They'll put a little kid in front of a mirror, like four months, five months old, and then they'll put a screen down between the kid and the mirror and they'll put some rouge on the kid's cheek and then lift the screen up. And the kid doesn't respond. It's only after seven or eight months that the kid starts going like that. Because now by that age, they've learned, oh, that's me, that is, that's me in that mirror. Before that, they haven't learned to imagine that who they are is that image from a few feet away. And as time goes on, we learn that who we are, we get told, we get conditioned that who we are is a third person image of ourselves. And that's called the self-image. That's another name for that is the ego. But that's not who you are. So the Buddhists talk about the face you had before you got a personality, before you learned to do that. That's uh, the face you were born with. So it, it sounds nutty when I put it like that, but actually... When I was laughing at Jack because he didn't recognize himself, I was the idiot. He was clear that image in the mirror isn't him. I'm the one who thought the image in the mirror was him. But he knew the truth of the matter. Not because he's so smart, just because he hasn't had the necessary conditioning to overlook that fact. Anyway, to cut a long story short, you're not your ideas about yourself. Just like a map of New York City isn't New York City, could never contain all the cool stuff that there is in New York. Your map of you is vastly incomplete. And all your ideas about yourself are just a map. But who you really are is so much more than that. Why do you think then that people that are changing career, they're not happy in their job or in their business, why do you think they struggle to find a role or an identity that makes them happy or suits them and is who they are in a sense? Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, some people do, some people don't, but I think there are a bunch of reasons. One reason is a lot of times when someone's got a job that they're good at, for instance, they've got a bunch of track record with it and they're good at it. And so they get kudos for it and they get paid for it and all that sort of stuff. And then they got this thing that they're inspired to do and they got to start from scratch with that and be not very good at it. That's what I had to do when I decided I was going to be a coach and a trainer. I had to be really shit at it. I wasn't very good at it when I started out. Whereas my job, I was good at. and I got well paid for. When I first started coaching, I could hardly get paid anything because I wasn't very good at it. I had to develop my skills and master it. So there's that. Like, People like stuff that they're good at and that they're familiar with and that they already know how to do. But I think the word you used, identity, people, often they've got a lot of identity in a certain role, that sort of thing. And the idea, you know, I remember reading, I don't know how true it is, but reading that some massive percentage of guys die within two years of retiring from their job because all this stuff about identity and purpose and that sort of thing is wrapped up in it. I'm like, man, I either never want to retire or I you know, want, to make, want to make sure I don't have too much identity associated with that stuff. But I think a lot of times people associate their work role with who they are and what their value to society is, but also just the thing of familiar. I've worked with lots and lots of people around career change. And a lot of times it's fear of making a mistake, fear of criticism, fear of not being good enough at it, all that sort of stuff. And, and you know what one of the big ones is, man? Fear that they're not going to be okay if things go wrong. Like you, you and I both know, 
massive numbers of businesses fail within the first year of starting and massive numbers fail within the first five years. So we know that if you want to go and do your own thing, that's a relatively high risk venture. And if you want to start a new job, a new, in a new industry or a new type of career, well, that has a certain amount of risks associated. People, people don't like having to let go of their perceptions of security because a lot of people believe their security comes from their job or their role or their perception in the eyes of others, that kind of thing. So that's my best guess at it. So how then would you be confident in making a, in a, a big life decision like career change, would you say? Certainly when I work with people around that, where we start is helping people get clear on two things. One we've already talked about, which is who they really are. And the other is where their experience comes from. I give you an example. We're recording this in the middle of lockdown in COVID 2020. And lots of people, if you'd asked them in, I don't know, November or December of last year, said, how's 2020 looking to you? They would have said, oh yeah, I've got a real sense of certainty and confidence about what 2020 holds and that sort of thing. And then if you'd asked them four months later, they'd be, I feel very insecure and very uncertain. We're actually closer to reality now than we were four months ago. What we have now is the end of an illusion. We had the illusion back in late 2019 when they were certain that things were going to go a certain way in 2020. That was an illusion. It was never going to be the case. This was already in the cards. So we're actually closer to reality. One of the things that you know, we can all do with getting better at is becoming connoisseurs of reality rather than our own illusions. I remember when I, back when I was still... Uh, I was when I was still contracting, actually. So this is like 1999, and so I was day rate contractor on a contract in this com- company. And the HR, because I was involved in a mission critical project, they decided it would make more sense if they could get me in as an employee. And they so they offered me a package, a very attractive package, director level, salary car, all this sort of stuff. I said, no, thanks. I'm, I prefer to stick with things as they are. I prefer to have a contract and the, the freedom and income that's associated with that. And the HR director, he was shocked. He said, well, what about job security? I said, well, there's no such thing as job security. You know as well as I do. You've You've made people redundant as part of your role. They thought they had job security, but they didn't. There's no such thing as job security. That's an illusion. It's an illusion. And he got really flustered. He said, well, what would happen if we all thought that way? I said, well, I don't know, but it's the truth. It's the truth. The, the feeling of security can only and always come from within. That's the only place it has ever come from. Every feeling of security you've ever experienced as being generated from within your psychological and spiritual properties. Every feeling of peace and well-being has been generated the same way. Every experience of love and peace and connection came from within. Same with every experience of anxiety and worry and all that stuff too. It comes from the inside out. It's created from within. It seems like it's coming from out there. 
The stress seems like it's coming from the email or the traffic or whatever it might be, but it's being generated from within 100% of the time, no exceptions. And so that's worth knowing if you're wanting to embark on a new venture, because uh, it turns out there's a lot of things you don't need to concern yourself with once you realize that. And that frees you to focus on the things that it is worth concerning yourself with uh, and that it is worth paying attention to. I love that. I think it's so empowering to know that everything is within you. It all comes from within. It comes from within, but it, very much the, the principles of your book, your, what you're feeling is your thinking, and it, that is within your control. I don't believe it's within. I'm not sure that it's with. I'll, I'll push back on that, Matt. What I would say, how I would say it now, is you're living in the experience of the principle of thought taking form in the mind. So the principle of thought, that's formless, that's spiritual. You, like, you don't know what you're going to think next. You could think anything. You're not in control of what you're going to think next. And no one else is either. Your thoughts, they show up. But what you can do is you can learn about something that's already true, which is that you're living in the experience of the principle of thought taking form in the moment. And what that means, Matt, is that every experience you ever have, every feeling you ever feel for the rest of your life, that's going to be a thought generating experience. And that means that at the level of principle, you don't need things to be any particular sort of way to have a beautiful life. Now that's empowering, but I never met anyone who can control their thoughts. But you can respond to how you feel once you're aware of this process, these principles. Well, I guess we respond to how we feel anyway, right? But, but like to me anyway, Matt, let's take it back to where we started, which is little kids and the fact that little kids self-correct to clarity. They keep coming back to this baseline. They'll get angry or tearful or joyful or you know, it dis- dissolve in hilarity or whatever it might be, but they keep coming back to that kind of baseline, the factory settings. Well, that's because your psychology is a self-correcting system. It's automatic. And it looks to me, Matt, like the benefits of realizing that your experience is being managed by a self-correcting system is vastly more valuable than the benefits of trying to tinker with that system. You mentioned it being a psychological immune system. It corrects, which is beautiful. Before I ask my last question, where can people get in touch with you and find out more about you? All the usual places, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, jamiesmartcom, J-A-M-I-E-S-M-A-R-T-C-O-M. There's my website, jamiesmart.com. Amazon has my books, Clarity, the little book of Clarity, Results, and the little book of Results. I've got a couple of podcasts. So if you go to your favorite podcast app, you can find the Thriving Coaches podcast or the uh, Get Clarity podcast. That's about it. Fantastic. My last question, I call to burn from within when you live with passion, when you live with purpose and you have balance in your life. And from observing and reading everything about you, 
and observing you today, I would say you're an individual that, that is able to burn from within and live that way. What's the one thing you think has enabled you to burn from within? Just one thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, th- I think it's a great question. I want to give you the answer that is showing up for me now rather than a canned one. I think the one thing, Matt, is that willingness to look in the direction of the truth, to keep looking for what's true, what's real here, what can we rely on? And it's that, to me, it looks like a gift that I saw this thing about the future of psychology and was in a position to change direction. So it's something about being true to yourself. And that's the number one regret of the dying. Uh, I, I wish I was more true to myself. And so being able Yeah. And being able to have that clarity to be more and more true to yourself each day is is something we're all striving for. And your book and philosophy very much plays a a big part in that. So thank you so much for a great interview today, Jamie. And and thank you for for sharing this paradigm shift of psychology. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Since recording our interview, I've personally invested in Jamie's Escape Velocity, the Career Transition Blueprint Programme that follows the three principles originally developed by Sydney Banks. And I'm gradually exploring more of this world as I think it's a useful tool to tap into the innate wisdom within all of us. And I have developed as a coach as a result by really listening to clients in ways I've never done before. So if you want a career change or a life change, feel free to book a free 20-minute strategy call on burnfromwithin.com forward slash call, C-A-L-L, and I'll see if I can help or at least point you in the right direction. I'm a certified career change coach and an NLP trainer. And there are also plenty of other amazing coaches too that I've interviewed on the show, as well as people from the stories that I've interviewed on. So just go to burnfromwithin.com forward slash interviews and find out how to connect with any of them. You know, networking is one of the most powerful ways to start a change in the direction you want. So whoever you resonate with or are drawn to when listening to this show, connect and schedule a call if you can. Everyone on this show can help you towards the path to burn from within. And if you found this podcast helpful or inspiring, please leave me a review on the podcast platform that you use. Subscribe for more interviews and share the Burn For Within show with your friends. Until next time, live with passion, purpose and balance and burn from within.